to the last thing I saw. This is more from Sundance, wherever Sundance is for you uh, or us. Uh, it's a virtual edition, so that means that it's in your home. I guess the nice thing about doing these podcasts now is that with the virtual option, people can actually, if they want to shell out a certain amount of money, I guess, can watch whatever we're talking about, I think. I have to look that up. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's just twenty bucks. Twenty bucks, yeah. yeah. Um, as as you can hear, I'm 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 not alone oh, in, the, in the wilderness here. No, <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's uh, I'm very happy to have back on on the show uh, Beatrice Loiza. Welcome. Hello. Yes, I'm happy to be back talking about remote Sundance. It's. I mean, it's nice not to have to be trudging around in <laughs> high altitude for one thing um so there's that perk yeah i mean i've actually never been to sundance in person uh but i hear that being physically there is not the greatest for people like me that don't like the cold <laughs> but you've been watching a little over the weekend and i think you've been wisely taking a, a bit of a wait and see approach which is probably <laughs> Probably preferable to the to the just kind of force feeding I've I've been engaging in. Yes, I ha- I have been waiting for recommendations from trusted sources, um, and, and because of that, I feel like I have mostly seen things that I've liked. So it's a positive experience so far. <laughs> That's definitely good because it it is it is a cumulative bummer to see a lot of <laughs> middle of the road movies. Um, but um, one one of the highlights you. You were just uh, mentioning is in the World Cinema Dramatic Competition. Uh, so, if you want to start off with that, yeah. Um, so, I really enjoyed this film, uh, Dos Estaciones, by the filmmaker Juan Pablo Gonzalez. So, I mean, just to give a sense of what it's about, it's sort of a character study about this woman, uh, Maria Teresa, who's like who's played by this really wonderful actress, Teresa Sanchez, um, and she's like this head of a tequila distillery and. She's sort of a steely, sort of butch woman um, who, in her in the past, like inherited the company from her father. Like she's very much settled into her job. Um, but you know, as the film goes on, we realize that her business is it's not doing particularly well, and there are foreign-owned tequila companies nearby that are you know threatening her livelihood and the various locally manned companies like hers. So you know, in part, it's about that, but. You know, we also, you know, Maria Teresa hires this younger woman to be her assistant, and they're almost kind of like a lesbian couple, except not really, but just the way they're kind of framed and the way they work together, it very much feels like a almost husband-wife scenario. But, you know, what I really liked about the film is that it's, it's not on the nose about things like Maria Teresa's sexuality, you know, or the class dynamics at play or the very evident, you know, neo-colonialist realities, what have you. And, and it's the sort of film that's very much like willing to go on tangents. Like there's this mm. kind of extended aside where we learn about Maria Teresa's hairdresser and just sort of follow her as she meets this guy at a casino and they fall for one another. And it's this extended bit, and we don't really come back to it in the same way. She just kind of 
hairdresser sort of falls back into becoming another person in Maria Teresa's orbit. But, you know, it was really interesting that it just the film just decided to go there for, like, who knows, like 10, 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know, I was, I was very refreshing portrait of, of a woman and that it you know satisfies this idea of centering a complex and and not entirely sympathetic female character but um in a way that still very much like preserved the film's ambiguities and you know sort of allowed for bursts of of the unexpected and for distraction in a way that i thought actually cohered really beautifully um mm. So, so yeah, and, you know, on top of all of that, um, you know, this was shot at, like, a tequila, I guess, distillery and, like, a agave plant ranch, or I don't know what to call it, but it's, it's really beautiful because of, of that as well. I mean, we see these really kind of bizarre-looking plants being harvested and cut, uh, these, you know, expanses of open field. So, you know, all of that was really striking mm. and, and lovely on top of the fact that we have this really interesting and, and unique character at the center. So definitely a highlight for yeah. me, Dos Estaciones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that sounds really, really good. I, I, I had a couple people recommended. I'll definitely have to catch up with, with that one. It's interesting also, you mentioned that she kind of has a uh, complicated personality. What what are the aspects to that? Well, I mean, you know, on the one hand, we do sympathize with her because she's very much like a lonely person. She's reticent. You can tell that she has problems like connecting to people. But at the same time, she does run this factory and she's like a lot of people's boss. And like mm. she very puts on, very much puts on this like, you know, tough masculine front, like sort of assuming the persona of like perhaps her father. Um, mm. And, you know, just like her communications with her employees, it, it doesn't like spell this out in any sense, but it's like, you know, she's in, in some ways, like you can tell how she can be an agent of exploitation as well. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then all, doubly interesting that the movie kind of gives you the thread with, with her hairdresser sort of, taking you out of that out of the managerial mindset for a second I guess. right right and it's it's interesting the relationship with the hairdresser because there's they have this conversation where you find out that she kind of like supports her a bit and she like goes hmm. out of her way to support you know certain people in her life but there is the sense also that that support comes from this desire to control so yeah but again I love that it's not like an extremely explicit explicit thing these sorts of nuances just kind of come out through yeah you know subtle conversations in in really gratifying ways yeah well um i i i have absolutely no way to segue from that to movie (laughs) (laughs) that you you mentioned you liked yeah entirely different uh genre and approach sounds like um (laughs) but that other movie is uh speak no evil um, right. And that was another highlight for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Um, yeah, a very different movie. Uh, so Speak No Evil is by um, this Danish director, Christian Toftrup. Um, and it's, well, it, it's about a Danish family and they visit their Dutch friends who 
they only really met while they were on vacation in Italy, so they don't actually know these people very well. And, like, I did like this movie, but it also is very much a, like, Michael Hanukkah, like, ripoff. Um, okay. You know, I mean, I like this movie, but, you know, there are certain things that I'll talk about later that are I'm, I'm willing to overlook because of how effective certain aspects of it I found. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, yeah, Michael Hanukkah levels of, like, discomfort... Because, you know, the bulk of the story is, you know, this Danish family. Um, they're staying at, you know, this other couple's home. And, and the Dutch couple is sort of odd. Um, they're, like, doing these progressively uncomfortable things. Like, at one point, yeah, they go out to a pub. And, like, the babysitter they hire to take care of the kids is, like, a grown man. <laughs> who doesn't speak English and um, <laughs> you know, at the pub, this other couple, they like you know, start getting openly sexual with each other and they drunkenly drive home. And like, that's kind of more so on the side of the macro aggression. Whereas like the bulk of it is filled with like little, you know, micro <laughs> aggressions mm-hmm. where you're not really sure if they're like being weird intentionally or if that's just them. Like, are Dutch after all but um you know <laughs> you know so it's it's very good at pivoting back and forth from you know the feeling that things are weird to openly aggressive to like actually fine and it's not a slow film it like really zips by and I won't obviously get into the sort of reveal finale here but you know I I thought that the ending was it was quite shocking and it's and that's sort of where it pivots into straight horror um mm. in a way that's you know i i just found it really effective and, and disturbing yeah. um and it's like one of those you know sort of disturbing reveals that's kind of old school and that it doesn't actually seem to be married in like any coherent way to like sociological explanations like it's actually just almost removed in this sort of purely evil like sense like to quote mm-hmm. from like I was thinking of of the quote from from Blue Velvet when Kyle McLaughlin's character is like why are there people like Frank like why is there evil in this world it's like I kind of felt yeah. that at the end of this movie because it's just so messed up um, yeah. so yeah and like because of its just, like, pacing and, like, the sort of originality of, like, all these ways in which these people are weird and, like, ultimately this big reveal, like, I was pretty much on the edge of my seat for a good part of it. And, you know, to me, that's, you know, (laughs) thumbs up in my book that it was able to, like, achieve those feelings and elicit that reaction out of me. Um, You know, a lot of it, kind of pushes the boundaries of believability you kind of have to like forget about certain details definitely and you know and this is probably related to I don't know this purely evil sort of phenomenon that I was describing but it it kind of does lack a point of view in a sense like there is a certain like Hmm. why is this happening right but you know all of those quibbles aside like it still (laughs) kind of like disturbed me so kudos yeah. to it for achieving that <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting here that it's like a combination of you know microaggressions and kind of 
uh, you know, yeah, but ultimately opening up into more outright horror. Um, because that's been kind of interesting to track just in some of the other movies uh, at the festival this year. Also movies that kind of have dig more into maybe some of the sociological angles you, you were you were thinking of. Um, I did like something like Master or, or Nanny. Um, yeah. Whereas, yeah. Did you did you end up seeing either of those or not? Not yet. I, I haven't seen either of them. I'm kind of interested in Nanny, um, mm-hmm. but but unsure. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in need of a uh, a, a sort of chilly um, Euro horror setting of some sort, or or just creepy setting of some sort. Because I watched uh, Watcher, which is set in um, Romania. I don't know. I thought they could have done more with the. Uh, I mean, it's Romania, you know, so <laughs> really all they do is they just have like a neighbor who kind of has a, an unnerving, unnervingly immobile face and <laughs> sallow, you know, complexion. Beginning of the movie, I was just wanting him to get curtains because the whole thing is she's being watched through windows. Anyway, um, so maybe I'll, I'll, I should check out uh, Speak, Speak No Evil then. Yeah, um, I mean, it's also like the sort of movie where like it, involves the kids in a way that's actually effective i mean Mm. ultimately the kids become a major plot point but the way that it kind of builds that up um like it actually like made sense to me and like usually i'm sort of annoyed with like kids and horror movies (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah but this is good and you know it's just sort of funny that the sort of Euroisms of it all. <laughs> like it's Danish people thinking that these Dutch people are super weird and these Danish people are like <laughs> extremely nice to the point where, you know, they're kind of accepting of like certain weird things these other people are doing. Uh-huh. Um I don't know. It's almost like I mean, I would have no idea I'm not European, but it almost feels like a sort of <laughs> nationalistic statement or, or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, I've sometimes thought that about Lars von Trier, you know, what he's trying to say about Swedes in, in some mm-hmm. of his movies. So, yeah, it definitely I, feels like an insult. Like, you Dutch people are insane. You're freaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, in, in, intra-Scandinavian low country uh, rivalries, <laughs> uh, secret intensity. Yeah, and that's also, that's, I don't think we've talked about uh, a midnight movie yet. So that's, I'm glad we, we, we were able to um, tell me about that one. I did see another one. I saw Peggy, uh, another midnight movie, which I will just sort of pass over. It was a short <laughs> film. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean to say that it's like unspeakable. Um, I just, it's, it's just one of those kind of short film to feature phenomenon. Oh, um, I see. Where, you know, maybe the, Pure version is in the short, maybe. I don't know. Even though the feature obviously expands the story. But anyway, um, Speak No Evil is what you were uh, uh, talking about. And that's Christian Toftrup. Toftrup, I, I guess. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful you have a real variety of films. That, that <laughs> it's like bring to the table. schizophrenic. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. And so, yeah, the third selection is from uh, a, a well-established filmmaker, uh, Nina Menkes, and that is Brainwashed. Yes. Uh, I feel like bad for bringing it up because this is, I did not have a positive reaction to this, even though like I 
I I like Nina Menkes and I've like a lot of movies she's made and like <laughs> I am on board with like the general like just attitude of this film or like what it's trying to say about just like the history of, of just sexism in film but like mm-hmm. in this case on a formal level um but I just thought it was quite bad um but anyway so it's it's Nina Menkes delivered this talk at Khan some years ago and like this is sort of like the filmed version of that like the expanded film version of this talk um but you know in this talk she discusses like the various cinematographic ways in which you know women have just been historically captured and like dehumanized and like how men are you know the way that they're shot are like subjects and you know she sort of runs through this list of of techniques in which like women are captured a certain way and then like connects the dot throughout like you know the history of sort of these canonical important mostly like American filmmakers that have all utilized these techniques um so you know things like like how women's body parts typically are you know shot out of context or like um, and disconnected like you know the camera lingers on like the legs or like breasts or whatever how women are sexualized through the use of slow motion or how they're shot in soft focus, you know, to bolster their sort of fantasy image. And, you know, it's, it's her sort of going through the list of these techniques with like a lot of just clips from like various movies and then like interviews with, you know, just random other, you know, women film academics, women in the industry that are like, yeah, this is, this is the case. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, agree with these things, um, but I don't know, for me at least, like, I know that for certain audiences, this will be, like, pretty eye-opening for, like, you know, you know, someone that perhaps, like, is not intimately familiar with just, like, shot construction or, like, the various formal Mm. techniques that go into movie making, like, so in that case, it is very intra-level, but, like, you know, for someone that's, like, interested and just like feminism and film and like the fraught history of film it's like a very like okay duh <laughs> um mm-hmm. very much so but like the way that the film unfolds is as if it's like this big conspiracy that like no one has been cued into right until now <laughs> um, <laughs> now it can be told right um and then it just kind of sloppily segues into like you know obviously the gender disparity in below, above the line, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the, what are some of the movies it, it takes clips from? Yeah. So this is actually my other problem with it. It's generally like, you know, big canonical filmmakers. So it's like everyone from, it's like Hitchcock, Orson Welles, Brad Palma, you know, up to, uh, you know, the usual suspects today, you know, P.T. Anderson, Tarantino. And it's just like various clips from like, you know, these big movies but I don't know the way it's presenting them which like yeah true you know these men have you know captured women's bodies and and suspiciously uh just like similar ways that are that's very sexualizing dehumanizing um but it also I don't know it's it's very like buys into this idea of like this history this canon being like the end-all be-all of it all um so like Mm. I don't know. And just like, well, there are sort of 
other films out there that we can also discuss to sort of maybe complicate this larger argument. Um, but I don't know. The way she discusses this history of cinema is, is, is very kind of narrow. And, you know, mm-hmm. I get that that's sort of connecting to the larger point of like the kinds of filmmakers that tend to be like the most acclaimed and like they get the most money and, and support and whatnot. But yeah. I don't know. I just, it just fe- felt like very slight because of that. Yeah. I, just to kind of give some context for, for, for anyone who hasn't seen uh, like a previous movie by her, what, what's, what's one she's directed uh, before that, that, that you've liked? Yeah. So I really liked Queen of Diamonds. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, sort of filmed in Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, about a, a blackjack dealer who's, who's played by this woman, and there's sort of, like, conspiratorial, like, undertones to it, and, hmm. you know, kind of relishes in, like, the desolation of, of, of Las Vegas during the day, and then, like, the sort of transgression of what it turns to at night. And I mean, I, it, that movie was like a lot of fun to me. I mean, mm, yeah. God, I, I definitely saw another one too. Um, bloody Child. Oh, the Bloody Child. Yeah, that's that was good too. So I've liked those movies in the past. <laughs> but brain, um, brainwash, not so much. <laughs> brainwash, not so much. Yeah, I mean, a part of it almost feels like. Uh, like she's very much just of an older generation and like is still sort of, mm. I don't want to say like clinging to like, it's hard for me to like think through because it's like, they're not like old issues per se, but it does also just feel a bit um, behind the curve. I mean, that issue of how do you pitch, you know, what audience do you pitch a, a documentary to uh, is always kind of fascinating to me because yeah, I mean, you can read writing about documentaries where it, it, sometimes it's a factor, sometimes it's not a factor in how people are writing about them. And, you know, I, I was just talking about we met in virtual reality, virtual reality. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think is really interesting, but I can just imagine that for anyone who knows more than I do about virtual worlds, which is probably millions of people, um, it's... <laughs> You know, it's 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 probably just like, what is this? This is like Mickey Mouse kind of look at things. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I probably would need like a brainwashed sort of level documentary to explain like NFTs to me or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. You know, like I would right. probably need something super dumbed down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could use one of those too. So, if anyone filmmakers are listening. Um, <laughs> or or don't <laughs> or don't yeah yeah <laughs> well actually I wonder if this is a factor at all with one more film I, I want to just um, touch on quickly what I've just been thinking of is the Kanye West documentary and although I guess the title is Genius um, yeah I like <laughs> it clicked in my brain when the movie started that it was like supposed to be pronounced Genius. <laughs> like completely I, dopey moment like i just read it like gene gene yes like the whole time beforehand <laughs> it's okay wow i'm very slow <laughs> but but it was interesting because you i felt obliged to, to see it like you had to at least like check it out yeah i sort of grew up like listening to kanye west 
you know, albums like Graduation, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. This was like very much young Beatrice, like I forget, middle school, <laughs> high school, just like listening to this music and feeling like it was this revelation to me. And, you know, I think that this experience extends to like a lot of people that are like just generally of my generation. I mean, so, you know, I very much was someone that like would look forward to, you know, his new albums back when they used to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And like many other people, I am, you know, have been sad and disturbed at just like the, I don't know, development of his personality (laughs) over the past decade. And, you know, there's a degree of sort of musical worship that a lot of people have or had of him and just like needing to reconcile that with the fact that this is a person that's just like, you know, basically embarrassing to like still really be into. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I was obviously going to watch this and, and um, I don't know if, you know, you were able to see all of it, but like I only had access to, like, the first part of this, like, epic documentary. I think it's, like, three different parts. And so, like, what you watched, was it just, like, an hour and a half? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Yeah. that's that's what I watched, too. But, no, there will be two remaining parts, and they will continue to, like, follow the rise of Kanye West. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know when that's rolling out, but, um... But so what we saw is essentially, like, Kanye before he was famous, when he was still just sort of, like, a no-name producer writing beats for other people, but then, Mm -hmm. like, trying to just, like, get his name out and, like, become famous. And then at the end of the part we just saw, he, like, gets a record deal. And, like, we're seeing him about to sort of come out to the world. Yeah, it neatly kind of wraps up at that point. It's I guess it's just one um, filmmaker who was able to chronicle him from the beginning, Cootie Simmons, who gives like a regular voiceover. And I mean, I guess consequently, since he's there from, I mean, like late 90s, you know, and and when he started shooting just for a public access show, um, where he's showing the kind of uh, Chicago scene, and of course Kanye is is in there as a as a producer, and and so that gave it kind of a sweet intimacy through, throughout, even when it's kind of hitting, you know, familiar beats, if you'll pardon the word, um, in the rise of a star. I mean, I know these things are like hugely filtered and everything, but it it, it still felt like you were seeing some moments that maybe you wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah. It is pretty, like, I mean, not that this is, like, a surprise to anyone that knows about Kanye West and, like, his notoriously big ego, but, like, it is very explicit about the fact that this guy was, like, almost delusional, like, he really wanted to be famous, and he's doing that kind of also in embarrassing ways in the beginning at a point when no one really cared about him, but he persisted, (laughs) Yeah, and... You know, part of what's kind of interesting about the doc is that the, the director is one of the disciples in a sense that he he was one of the believers from the beginning, which is why he even mm. decided to, like, follow Kanye around from, like, the get-go before 
you know, like we see him in his like apartment in New Jersey. Like he's actually like doesn't have any money. Um, I mean, in a way, it's kind of a recognizable just the feeling that he's a producer so he's spending all his time and energy on on other people's bringing helping bring other people's work into being right. um but he you know he wants to put out his his own work um and that's kind of like a you know yeah relatable um spine to it more or less relatable is yeah the focus on really getting his name out there but you know that that's kind of a, a good way to bring in mention of his 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 mother because that again makes it kind of sweet that that he has this healthy self confidence, and you you know you have some scenes with his mom visiting his mom at home, where you just see how he really just gets a foundation from her, and she's also able to kind of, you know, put him in his place with some perspective. She has this great line that when she delivers it, it sounds like a parable or something, you know. Uh, do you remember that about? Yeah, like the giant doesn't see himself or something like that. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. And then that yeah. it really, that's the one time in the movie where you see him at a loss for words. He immediately goes silent. Right. He's like kind of reflects for a second. Like, hmm, <laughs> do I <laughs> yeah. want to absorb this or not? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I was really touched by the mother. Just like the footage of him sort of just like shooting the shit with his mom, essentially. Yeah. You know, especially... Just because, I don't know if you have followed the history of Kanye West, but, like, when his mom died, it was, like, devastating for him. And, you know, yeah. a lot of cultural commentators have attributed sort of his mental health decline, you know, to her death. And But, you know, you see their rapport, and it's, like, just so easygoing, and she's just so sweet. And you could just see her constantly just, like, filling him with kind words and support and this sort of... Like, like it just, she looks like she just really genuinely believes in him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, he, I don't know, it, it, he's really, like, it's very nourishing for him. You can tell that this is the reason why he is the way he is. Like, no, and then he's, she's even like quoting like old lyrics back to him. She's like, why didn't you do anything with these lines? And then she reels off like six lines. Right. Um, she like intimately know. knows his work. Yeah. It's like, she's the number one fan. She's the number one fan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I like that. And it's stuff like that. And then, I don't know, there, there are other little sort of details that you might not otherwise find in a, in a music documentary. Like there's this sort of semi running joke about his retainer. Um, oh yeah <laughs> which, I thought was, which which depending on how you read at one point he needs to get um someone to like do a hook for to record a hook for yeah. a, a song he's working on so he gets uh he gets scarface to come to the studio and listen to some tracks and i kind of almost read that scene where as as like it was going okay until scarface sees his retainer um sitting on. i know it <laughs> He just like takes off his retainer and like puts it wherever. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of mort- mortifying moment. I um, know, and he doesn't care. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Oh care. yeah, it's like my retainer. It's my retainer. <laughs> um, but right. yeah, it's it's um, like I mean, I because I definitely, you know, as as embarrassing as you know, still liking Kanye is like obviously there's like a certain sweet spot for it all that like this doc obviously kind of exploits a bit but at the at the same time it's not like super forceful about like giving you the best image possible like it just gives you a lot of footage and like you just kind of take 
of it what you will. I mean, like some of it is kind of random, over long, but it's it's also just kind of fascinating. It's like looking at this particular point in time and you know, an artist like him within that milieu, mm-hmm. like yeah. kind of doing low key sorts of things. Yeah. And just, I mean, yeah, just kind of giving a shape to, to er- earlier phase of, of his career and which, you know, yeah. If yeah, being, being an observer for the past, you know, five years, it's just, you can be your mind kind of melts. Uh, just this is almost just another a universe to, to see this almost traditional path of ambition um, mm-hmm. as opposed to now where it's, yeah, just an entirely different point in, in his life, obviously. Right. And something else I actually wanted to bring up, it is, it is yeah. kind of interesting when you like see him trying to get people's attention, like hustle people in like various offices of various labels. You'll like, this is like before he's like made his record before anyone knew who he was, but like he has a bunch of the songs that, you know, at this point, a lot of people know of like Jesus mm-hmm. Walks, for instance, or random other really, really popular songs. But like, you know, there's this part where he's like in the offices and like trying to perform <laughs> yeah. for random people in the office. And it's like a super popular song. But back then, no one yeah. cared or like was sort of annoyed that he was trying to right. you know, do whatever. So like that disconnect of being like, well, this act, this song would go on to be like a major hit. But at the yeah. time, it's like kind of a punchline. Like people were like, "What are you doing? Like turn that music off." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's kind of like the that image is like the epitome of, of the, this movie, basically. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's a great scene. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, it's it's sort of an unorthodox strategy to. I mean, in a way, kind of doomed to fail. If you just start like. Um... Yeah, he just started like rapping and performing for people in the <laughs> office, and yeah. like just with a smile on his face and people are frowning and I don't know, it's hilarious, but (laughs) then that's in the beginning, you know, eventually some people warm up, but you, from the, from the get go, I mean, he's not really humble. Like even when he's like, you know, (laughs) when no one knows him and people are giving him a lot of shit, he's still just like, yeah, I've got a lot of talent and people need to notice my name and I will be famous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which I guess I mean, he manifested. He truly, he man- manifested. yeah. That's it. Yeah, he <laughs> truly manifested. <laughs> um, but I guess yeah. Apparently, there are more installments, and it, and then I guess I, I haven't really been paying attention. But I guess also uh, Kanye has also been talking about wanting to have some director or some wanting to have some full cut of the movie. I, I don't know. If, yeah, he was that. like tweeting or something about yeah, it or some, something on social media. Yeah, who knows? That's kind of <laughs> also a way to like stir the pot of it and like yes. give yes. it publicity. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, because at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know the whole story. Maybe there was a big falling out between Cootie, the director, and, and Kanye. But my impression is that they've known each other for a long time and they're still yeah. great buds. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, and there's almost like a scene like like this in the movie where there's like a sort of falling out with like an old friend mm. that taught him a lot and then they kind of reconcile. So um, right. anyway, so that is uh, genius. Uh, and <laughs> I'm <laughs> as we figured it out. And I think that's probably a good place to to land. What's the next thing you most want to see? 
I am looking forward to Emily the Criminal because of my mm. connection to Aubrey Plaza. I've just like written various, like I've interviewed her, I've like written some books oh, really? about Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, and like I don't That's know great. why, but like I don't know. People tend to give that to me as my celebrity doppelganger. <laughs> so we're connected <laughs> as as my friends tell me. So I will be watching the new Aubrey Plaza movie, Emily the Criminal. Um and I am also looking forward to um, Miha, which I've heard good things about. Yeah, that's that's yeah, definitely interesting doc. Well, thank you for this grand tour of, uh, of the span <laughs> of, of Sundance. Uh, I wish you happy viewing for, for the rest of the Yes, festival. you too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.